overcoming God. The great I am, hallelujah, is on the throne of glory. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Gospel of John chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 60. You got to say so. And our children are dismissed to Kids Dome right now. So if you are a child, not a child at heart, amen, but an actual child. You are dismissed. The Gospel of John chapter 6. Everybody says so already, so let's read it together. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if, I, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he, has, where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered and said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who betrayed him, being one of the twelve. Father, we thank you for your word that is truth. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church this morning. I pray, Lord God, that you would utilize me as a vessel in your hands and that you would speak through my life into the lives of my brothers and my sisters, Lord God. I pray that you would bring edification to them and glorification to your name. And above all, Lord God, I pray that we would not be idle hearers of your word, that we would be faithful doers of your word, God. We thank you for your truth that sets us free and shows us the way to go, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' good name. And someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one. Keep your hand up for a moment. Actually, keep your hand up until you get the outline so that way we know that you do not have one. We want to make sure that everybody who would like an outline has an outline. We think that it is important for two reasons. Number one is, as we have talked about, it is good to take notes. You're not going to remember every single thing that you hear, but you can write down some stuff that, is, that, are, that are good for you and that you feel like God is speaking to you. 
You can also make sure that you answer the questions that are there. And the second reason why we do these is because during the year from May to September, we connect in our Connect Life groups. And so we get together in our Connect Life groups and we want to make sure that we have conversation. Now, right now, we're not, what did, what did I say? From May to September? All right. Vice versa, September to May, my bad, my bad. September to May, okay, um, we, we get together. And so right now, obviously, it's not, those, it's not that time, but we still want you to connect. As I challenged you from a couple weeks ago, I said that it's important for you to continue to have conversations. Have conversation. If you do family devotionals, this would be a good topic of conversation. You have friends that don't know Jesus, this would be a good way to introduce them to Jesus. And so very important. So now everybody's hands are down, so everybody's got an outline. So we are talking today about core stability, core stability. And so we've looked at this chapter and we've, you know, walked through this slowly. And obviously we could have ran through all 71 verses in one week and you would have not remembered everything that was said, even though you don't remember everything anyway, glory to God, you know, because you're not going to remember every single thing. But nonetheless, you would remember even less. Amen. And you would have probably been here for like three hours. So you're glad that I broke it up. Amen. Glory to God. So ultimately, we want to continue looking at the scriptures here. And the one thing that I want to say, looking at your outline here, is that Jesus is hands down the most important person in history. Can I get an amen? amen? There's no question that Jesus is the most important person in history. Not only did he write it, in other words, he, he wrote it, he's the one that established it, but he plays the most important roles as creator God and redeemer savior. And so he's the one who creates everything, but then he's also the one who redeems everything. And with such important roles in the history of mankind, he is also one, if not the most controversial figure of all time. Can I get an amen to that? Jesus was always saying stuff that was messing people up, that was making them hopefully think differently. He was always communicating to them, you know, you've heard these things. He would say, you know, you've heard that, you know, we shouldn't commit adultery. He said, but if a man looks with lust in his heart, he's already committed adultery. So Jesus messed everyone up. Everyone's like, well, if I didn't do it, I'm not guilty. Jesus says, aren't wrong. If you thought it, you're guilty. Hello, somebody, right? And so, you know, you call someone a fool, it's equivalent to murder. Like Jesus was really radical in his devotion to what holiness really was. And he really set the bar high and the standard high so that we could understand that his standards of, of holiness are really beyond our grasp and our reach in and of ourselves, but by grace. We can reach them. Amen. By grace, we are called righteous. By grace, we can walk in the power of the Spirit. And so Jesus here, he's continuing in his controversial ways, and he communicates some things that the people couldn't get over. And so as we've seen continuing in the outline, as we have seen through this gospel so far and in this chapter, people were not any different then than they are now. No matter how much Jesus does proving who, proving he is who he says he is, through tough teachings, when tough teachings occur or life lessons arise, we find ourselves wavering in our faith. I think it's so important for you to look at verse 60 here really quickly. It says, therefore, many of the disciples say many of his disciples. The word that I want you to focus on for a moment is disciples, right? That's talking about those who were students of his, those who were, you know, calling him teacher. It's talking about a multitude of people that were following him at that moment. And so Jesus comes in with this teaching that is tough. They couldn't grasp a teaching with all of their mind and their heart. And so they found themselves wavering in their faith. They were struggling to embrace what it was that Jesus was saying. And so Jesus teaching on his flesh, last paragraph here, Jesus teaching on his flesh and blood being 
being the source of eternal life was a call to complete devotion and trust in him alone as Savior. And here's the thing. A choice had to be made. Either believe and be saved or disbelieve and be condemned. Are you hearing me? See, it's the same thing today as it was then, right? You, there, there's a choice when you're hearing the word of God. Right now, you're hearing the scriptures, and there's a choice that you'll make. You will choose to obey what God is commanding of you, obey what God is calling you to do, or you will choose to disobey. There's always a choice being made. There's no such thing as being idle. If you're idle, then you're choosing what? To disobey. You're choosing not to do. You're omitting, so you're sinning by the sin of omission. And so the same thing is there. They had a choice. They could either believe and be saved or disbelieve and be condemned. And what we see, is two groups arise out of one. There's one group of disciples, two groups, the flakes and the core, those who stayed and those who strayed. We see two groups of people here, those people who were walking with Jesus and they were going from one place to the next and they were like, you, you know, hey man, you turn, you know, you turn all that bread and fed us and, you know, we've seen you do some awesome things and so we're going to follow you and we want to hear from you and yet there was something that was missing. There was an issue in their heart. They decided that, you know what, we can't take this teaching. We can't handle what he's communicating. Remember what Jesus was simply saying, he was saying, listen, I'm calling you to full devotion to full trust, to full hope. I'm calling you to trust me with all of your life, to trust me as the only way of salvation. And so we're talking about core stability, and as, as I always try to do, to give you the message in one sentence, if I could do that. And so get ready to write, because here it is. Core stability is necessary for endurance. Now, I'm not done there. I'm just going to pause for a moment so you can start writing, so I don't got to repeat it nine times, all right? So core stability is necessary for endurance. In our walk of life, and in our walk of faith. Core stability is necessary for endurance in our walk of life and in our walk of faith. And what we saw here was we see, again, we see these two groups of people that are there. We find this, what, what we call the, 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 the big, large gathering of people. And then from there, there was a core that was stabilized. There was a core that stood out and said, you know what? We're going to believe what you're saying, Jesus. We're going to trust your word. We're gonna, we, we, don't, we don't maybe fully understand everything now, but we trust who you are. And we're going to walk with you. And so in life, in, in, in the natural areas of life, if you have a weak core, you know, this area here, hello, somebody. If you have a weak core, you know, you're going to have issues. I'm just saying, you know, you have back problems. i never forget. I, I, I remember years back, I hadn't, I hadn't been working out for a long time, and it was a really bad day for me because it was the first time that I ever experienced lower back pain. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced lower back pain. If you have not, praise God right now. Just give him praise. Amen. Glory to God. I'm just saying, just praise him because it is the worst thing that you will ever experience. I, 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 listen, I don't know. I've never given birth, but what I'm saying is, okay, I'm pretty sure giving birth is worse than lower back pain, but what I'm going to say is this, okay? You can, you can attest to that, right? Okay, so giving birth is worse. Okay, so giving birth is worse, but I, anyway, and, and the level, and it's close. All right, so the level of pain that I experienced, I don't forget it because I was literally, and I, I, I shared this with, with my class on, on Wednesday night, and so um, I'm not trying to be graphic here, but I want to paint you the picture of what happened. So when the back pain hit me, it was prior to me going to the restroom. So I went to the restroom. I was feeling this back pain. So I sat down in the toilet, right? I'm not being graphic, all right? I sat down. I couldn't stand in front of the toilet. I had to sit for the moment. Well, when I stood up, I thought everything was going to be all right. And I remember standing up, and I was like, okay. And I took one step, and as soon as I took the first step, I started to crumble. I took the next step, I started to crumble some more. By the time I was going to take step three, I couldn't take any more steps. I was on my knees calling my wife. Hello, somebody. 
And the issue was, right, it, it, I, had, I had this lower back issue, that, and I, could, I just could not, no matter what I tried to do, because my core was weak, just telling you, right, I couldn't do it. Now, now today, it's a different thing. I have, I've had some, you know, little back issues where I feel stuff, but because I do participate in exercise, hello, somebody, right, it, it's not debilitating because my core is stronger, right? And so what happens for us naturally, if we don't have a strong core, we're going to have problems. It's the same thing spiritually. If I don't have a strong core spiritually, situations are going to come into my life. You know what's going to happen? I'm going to crumble under the pressure. I'm going to step one, oh, it's okay. Step two, and before you know it, I'm on my knees, and I don't even know who to call out to because my core has been shaken. And so it's important for us to realize that we have to be sure that our core is stabilized because our core is what's going to make us do what? Make us be able to stand firm in the midst of whatever we're facing. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, core stability is demonstrated in the face of difficulty. Core stability is demonstrated in the face of difficulty. And so what happens is the people had issues understanding, literally, if we look at it together here, look what it says in verse 60, verse, verse 60 to verse 62 here. He says this, he says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, how can we understand it? Literally, when they're saying understand it, it wasn't that they couldn't comprehend what he was saying, is that they couldn't accept what he was saying. They couldn't accept that that was the only way. They couldn't accept that that was the truth that was being communicated. And so Jesus' teaching, and rather, and, and, and rather than Jesus try to explain it away, like, you know, well, I really didn't mean that, right? Jesus doesn't do that. But continue reading with me, and look what Jesus says. He says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about him, or murmured, right, just like the Old Testament saints, he said to them, does this offend you? And look at verse 62. He says, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? So what is Jesus doing here? What he does is he further expounds on his deity by pointing to his ascension. So now he's telling them, listen, you got to eat of my flesh, drink of my blood in order for you to have life, right? And then he goes on and said, well, if that offends you, well, what about this? What about if you see me ascend where I was? In other words, he's not denying his deity. But he's making it clear who he is. He's saying, I'm going to be back on a throne, and so can you handle that truth? Can you embrace that truth? Because if this teaching was tough and you couldn't get this one, can you embrace this one? Jesus didn't back down. He said, this is the truth that you are called to believe. For us, we have to realize that whether it is difficult teaching or difficult times, the strength of our core will be exposed as a result. You see, when Jesus calls us to do something, you know, I don't know about you, but when I hear things in the scripture like, you know, love your enemy, that, that's difficult. I have, I, have, I have a hard time sometimes loving people I love. Hello? Just being serious, right? Like, so, like, like sometimes, right, I, I, it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not always easy to love people you love because they get on your nerves, right? Just saying. Listen, don't be taking it personal what I'm saying, okay? I'm just confessing, all right? Be like, oh, I see he feels like that about me. I said people I love in general, hello, right? And I know sometimes I'm hard to love too, glory to God. I know a little bit, just a little bit. But ultimately, ultimately, when I hear Jesus teaching and Jesus communicates something like love your enemy, he tells you to pray for those who spitefully use you like, hello? Like, really? I mean, can I just, like, just not think about them? I don't want to pray for them. Like, pray for blessing over them. I mean, that, that's hard teaching. 
But Jesus communicates his hard teaching. And what happens is when we hear these hard teachings, see, these hard teachings are not hard until you're in the moment. Are you here? Because when you're not feeling the enemies around you, when you're not feeling hardship around you, it's easy to hear stuff like that. Oh, I'm good with that. Yeah, uh-huh, until you have that enemy in your face that you got to pray for and love. Hello. See, and in those moments is when what? Is when your, when your core stability is tested. And so we, we can be assured that God's standards will never be lowered and life will bring difficulty. Therefore, our core faith must be strengthened. We need to make sure that our faith is strong and that we stand firm in the truth of what God's word communicates. We must realize God never asks us to follow him with ease, but offers us the grace that will keep us in the face of difficulty. Let me say that again. We must realize God never asks us to follow him with ease, but offers us the grace that will keep us in the face of difficulty. See, his grace is where our core stability is. You see, the reason why I love and will always preach the gospel is because what the gospel does is it humbles us and exalts God. And you know what that does for us? It doesn't just make us feel bad. Pastor Chad said it's like an emotional roller coaster, right? You know, you start thinking about the gospel and you think about Jesus dying and you realize at that, at that same moment that your sin is what put him on the cross. If you have any kind of understanding of sin, you start to realize it wasn't her sin, even though her sin was bad. It wasn't his sin, even though his sin was bad, but it was my sin. My sin put Jesus on the cross. And as I consider that reality, then that is very humbling. When I realize that I couldn't be good enough in order to inherit heaven, I can't be good enough to make God be pleased with me. When I realize that, that is very humbling. When I realize that my sin separates me from God so far that I am on my way to hell apart from the cross. See, when I start, it's a humbling reality. And then what it does is it shows the magnitude of God. God's love because it shows us that God doesn't want to leave us in this desperate place but what he does is he comes as a rescuer he comes as a redeemer he comes and he dies for us even though I was reading someone and I'm reading a book and it's talking about the gospel and recovering its power and bringing its power back to the church and I love what the writer is saying he's talking and he's saying you know it's not that we've lost the fundamentals of the gospel he said that's not what it is he said because we understand that we're sinners, that we're on our way to hell. We understand that Jesus died for us. We understand that there's no way for us to get to heaven except through Jesus. We understand that once we put our faith in Christ and we repent of our sin, that we have what? A relationship with God. We have access to eternity. And now we are, now we have a new identity. We understand the fundamentals. The problem is that it doesn't move our hearts. The issue is that we hear those things, and, and some of us, and I'm saying everyone, because some of you are cool with hearing the gospel weekly, and I appreciate that because there's some people in here that don't know Jesus and need to hear this gospel for the first or 50th time. Hello? I'm just saying. And the rest of us, we need to hear the gospel over and over again because you know what? Our hearts should continuously be stirred by the gospel. We don't go, we don't move past the gospel, church. We are what? We are grounded. The core, our stability is in the gospel. It is us being moved by that reality that Jesus died for people. And what the writer was saying is that even though the gospel stirs his heart, he still struggles with his God-hating flesh. 
Are you hearing me? See, we all still struggle with this God-hating part of us. There's a part of us that wants to rebel against God. And until the day that we die, and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about just dying in Christ. I'm talking about dying like we are breathing no longer. Until that day, we will have to fight that devil. Are you here? But the beauty of this is, is that the gospel frees us to worship God. The gospel frees us to say no to that sinful desire. Are you hearing me? See, and that is a beautiful thing. The beauty of it is, is that God died for people who hate him. See, and, and, and what that does is it elevates him to being the hero of the story. See, I'm not the hero. You're not the hero. He's the hero. I'm not amazing because I said yes one day. He's amazing because he died on the cross one day. You see, I'm not all that because, you know, I pray so much or I worship so intensely or I give so much money or I do so much righteous stuff. He is glorious because if it is not by his grace, I will do none of those things. All of the glory goes to him. And so we and our hearts need to be stirred by what? By this gospel that should be changing us in the depth and in the core of who, of who our God is. The depth and in our core stability or the depth and the core stability that we have is in the beauty of the gospel that should be rehearsed in our hearts daily. Not just Sundays. Every day. We should revel in the beauty of the gospel. Every time we look at the scriptures, we should revel in the reality of what Jesus has done for us. And that should always overwhelm our hearts and lead us to obedience. Amen? The second thing, I ask you to repeat after me, is this. A core stability is developed through God's truth. Core stability is developed through God's truth. Look at verse 63 and verse 64. It says this. It says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. So Jesus now points to the spiritual implications of his teaching. The flesh profits nothing, but the spirit gives life. See, they were so overwhelmed with this, you know, eating flesh and drinking blood. They were so overwhelmed with that. And remember, they were concerned earlier about what? They weren't concerned about or they weren't moved so much by the miracles Jesus did. But Jesus said that they came after him because of what? Because he fed them. See, and the issue with many of us is that we're just like them because what do we do? We are concerned with carnal things. We're concerned with God's provision in our lives. We're concerned with God's blessing in our life. We're concerned with those things here and now. We're not concerned with spiritual stuff. Hello. We're not concerned with growing in the grace and knowledge of who he is because that doesn't pay my bills. Hello, somebody. That doesn't take care of my issues over here. But here's what God, God wants us to realize that the, that the, that the flesh profits nothing. It is the spirit that matters. It is, and, and it's not that, see, here, 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 here's the imbalance that we have sometimes, is that we can become so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good, and we start to think, oh, you know, if I start thinking too spiritual, I start to abandon my natural responsibilities. The Holy Spirit doesn't lead you to abandon natural responsibilities anymore, then God will do what? He's not going to take care of you. Are you here? God doesn't just leave us without. God is going to lead us as we focus in on him, as we focus in on worshiping him for who he is, as we focus in on seeking him because of the redemption that we have in him. What he does is he leads us to become more like him. And do you think our heavenly father is a responsible father? You think he takes care of his kids? I'm just saying, look around, glory to God. 
He takes care. He provides. He is who he says he is. And so he teaches what? He teaches us to be just like him. That's what he does. And so what what we want to do is look at what Jesus says. So our core stability is developed through the truth of God's word revealed by the spirit of God. And here's the thing that I love, and and, and this is another quote from this book. He said, you know, he said, I can't even teach you the gospel in a way that is going to make any kind of impact in your heart. He said, the Holy Spirit has to be the one that does it. Are you hearing me? And it's the truth for us. We can sit down. Look, these people, they walked with Jesus. They saw Jesus in person. They experienced Jesus' miracles manifested in their midst. That's what these people did. They experienced all of that, and yet there were some among them who still didn't believe. How much more true is that for us today? That there are some among us that they still don't believe. That their core, that, their, that, that the solidity, the stability in their core, their spirit, is not rooted in Christ the way that it should be because they're overwhelmed by other things that are going on in their lives. See, we need to come to this place and we understand that our core stability is developed through the truth of God's word, revealed by the spirit. And understand this, there are no shortcuts to core stability. You can't develop your core outside of proven methods. And hear me, these proven methods are God's truth. Now, let me, let, let me go to the natural, and we'll come back to the spiritual, okay? And the natural, you know, they're always making a new gadget that's going to help your core. Hello, somebody. Are you here? There's always a new gadget. There's a new machine. There's something else that in five minutes a day, you are going to have <laughs> abs of steel or something like that, right? Listen, I want you to understand something. There is no shortcut to developing your core. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to work hard. There are certain things that you, there are, in the natural, there are certain exercises that, you know, listen, I can lay, hear, hear what I'm going to say right now. I can go ahead and I can sit on a leg press machine all day long and press legs and that will do nothing for my core. Are you hearing me? Are you, are you listening to what I'm saying? I'm, I, I can sit there and press. I can do that. It's not, not going to do much for my core. I can go ahead and I can sit on a, I can lay down on a bench and, you know, I can pick weights up like this. It's not going to do too much for my core either now, you know. So there, it's going to do a little bit, but it's not going to stabilize like I need it to be. Are you hearing me? But if I do some, some core-focusing exercises, you know what's going to happen? My core is going to be stronger, and it's going to enable me to do other things that I couldn't do before. This is just reality. But there's proven methods, not the new gadgets and gizmos. Hello, somebody. There's no shortcut. It's the same thing spiritually. Listen, you cannot have your core spiritually developed by listening to, you know, every Tom, Dick, and Harry that says that they know something spiritually. Are you here? You can't, you can't develop that. It's just not going to, you know, you can sit there and listen. I'm not going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm to name specific names, but you could go and listen to this one or that one. I'll put it like this because right now this is a hot topic. I'm going to talk about it later on today in a moment. But here's the thing. Today, you know, uh, many churches, they're preaching about marriage and the sanctity of marriage today, which is the right thing to do because we should communicate about the truths. You know, this was a bad decision. I'm going to say it's a bad decision. It wasn't a godly decision. It wasn't a God-honoring decision. It wasn't a good thing. Are you here? This wasn't good, right? So let's not celebrate that. Let's not act like that was cool. Let's not be surprised either. Hello. Right? I mean, because we we have to realize that things are going to happen. The Bible talks about, you know, things getting worse in our days, not things getting better. This is going to make things worse. Hello? But here's the thing. I've heard people quoted, people who call themselves Christians, and they say, you know, I, I have evolved into a different position. Can I tell you something on marriage specifically? Can I tell you something? You don't evolve on a different position on marriage being in the word of God. Are you here? 
You don't evolve into a different position on scriptural truth by being in the scriptures. You know why? Because the scriptures will continue to solidify the truth that the scriptures solidify. Hello. I'm just saying. The, the scriptures that were inspired, whatever the Bible says. So if I'm sitting here and I'm in the word of God and I'm among godly people and I'm listening to godly counsel and I'm hearing the scriptures, you want to know what happens? I begin to grow more, more solid. I begin to grow more stable in what the truth of scripture says. But if I think, man, you know, there's a shortcut to this. There's another way to become more spiritual. There's, another, there's other voices because, you know, Christians, you know, we're closed-minded. Y'all know that, right? Let me tell you something real quick. I want you to, I want you to understand this about you being closed-minded. The Bible calls you to walk on the straight and narrow. Did y'all, y'all didn't hear me. The Bible calls you and me as Christians to walk on the straight and narrow. You know what that means? We need to be a little bit closed-minded. Hello, somebody. And what I mean, I don't mean we don't listen to what people got to say, but we need to make sure that everything that is being communicated is filtered through what? The Word of God. Not popular opinion. Because popular opinion is going to change. Hello, somebody. That's just a reality. Those things, as people, well, you know what? I like this today. I like that tomorrow. Whatever, it doesn't matter. The truth of what God's word says is the truth, and it stands firm regardless of what is going on, regardless of what anyone says. And so there's no way around. There's no, there, there's no other way to develop your core spiritually. We cannot buy into the lie that there is another way to develop faith. Gospel truth is the source of our faith. And we experience, hear me when I say this, we experience life-changing, core-strengthening grace of God only, say only, only as we find ourselves in the presence of God. Listen. If I'm going to be changed, it's going to be in his presence. See, and it doesn't mean to be in his presence, I got to be in a room by myself with him because that's not true. See, right now, we're in his presence, right? Why? Well, the Bible says when two or more gather together in his name, there he is in the midst of them. So by faith, what? His presence is here. When I'm gathered together with my brothers and my sisters, you know, when we connect, when we have times together, well, he's, his presence is there. And so we can be shaped and we can be developed in his presence, but it is in his presence that we experience what we need in order for our core to be strengthened. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, say, core stability is the disciple's gift from God. Core stability is the disciple's gift from God. Look at verse 65 with me, and we'll read to the rest, of the, the rest of the chapter, and we'll wrap it up. It says, and he said, speaking of Jesus, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Now look at what happens. From that time, many of his disciples, say many. Many of his disciples went back, and literally means they went to the back. And walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. 
Jesus reiterates, and we said this earlier, I think it was um, two weeks ago, Jesus reiterates in the midst of people flaking out, he is secure in the fact that sustaining faith is a gift of God, not earned, but received, and then it must be guarded. Jesus is 100% secure. People are, people are walking away from him, and Jesus is not shaking like, oh, man, what am I doing? I'm losing people, right? Like today, if that was a church today, you know, we're losing people, they'd be like, oh, my goodness, we got to change up the programs. We got to get with the, you know, we got to get with the days in which we live. We start thinking about things that we're doing wrong in order to gain the masses. The masses are leaving Jesus, and he's like, hey, no one can come to me unless the Father lets them. He's like, I can't keep any. I'm not trying to keep people that weren't given to me. He's, he's making it clear. It is a gift. Our core stability is a gift from God. Again, I said it earlier. I can preach the gospel to you. I can preach the scriptures to you. You can read your Bible and all of that stuff. That doesn't make you believe the Holy Spirit has to do a work. And the beauty of it is not like the Holy Spirit doesn't want to work on you. Hello? It's not like he doesn't want to work in your heart. It's not like he doesn't want you to hear and respond. He wants you to respond in repentance and faith. He wants you to respond in trust and obedience. He wants you to respond knowing that you are responding to a loving, gracious, merciful God who died in your place. Amen? He wants to. He's, he, he's calling us to respond to him. And when, when we realize that our faith is a gift, we become humble we become grateful, and we become dependent disciples. Let me say that again. When we realize that our faith, that our core stability is a gift, we become humble, we become grateful, and we become dependent disciples. See, when we look at Peter's response, Peter says this. Look what he says. He's verse 68. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life, and also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter's response shows us that true faith is marked by progression. In other words, we go from belief that turns into knowledge. And understand this, this progression in your life, typically, this progression is going to be marked by not just you progressing upward, but really it's going to be you struggling to go from belief to knowledge. And that knowledge is that I know that I know that that I know that this is truth, right? When you look at the way that these words are actually written in the, in, in the, in the original language, they're, they're written in the perfect tense. And so the way that you could translate that part is this. It would be Jesus saying, we have come to a place of faith and continue here. We have come, we have entered into knowledge and retain it. Listen to that. We have come to a place of faith and continue here. And so in other words, it wasn't a faith that was shaken. Are you hearing me? It was a faith that was stabilized by the grace of God. It was a faith that they were maintaining, a faith that they were guarding against the enemy. It was, it was that kind of faith that they were continuing in, and then they had entered into knowledge because they believed something, and then by walking with Jesus, what happens is now my faith, my belief becomes knowledge, and now it's not just something that I believe. It's not just something that you know I, I know here, but it's something that I'm experiencing because what? Because I'm walking with him. Because I'm hearing his truth, because I'm hearing what he's communicating to me. That's the reason why Peter says, you know, he, he says something. Now, 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 now know this. Now, Peter, he was, he, was, he, he was a guy that when we look at, you know, his responses to Jesus, he was always that first guy, right? He was always the big mouth that always said the right thing, but then later on he didn't always do the right thing. Hello. I know that describes no one in here. Never, never been you to ever say the right thing and not do the right thing, right? Uh-huh. Glory to God. 
I remember when I, I remember when I was a kid, I used to always say the right thing. Even as an adult, let me just let me just confess. Forget about when I was a kid. Even as an adult husband, glory to God. There are times that I say the right thing, but I don't do the right thing. Hello? My wife can say amen. Don't say amen. Do not say amen. Don't. Don't say amen. Just don't do it. The reality is that there's plenty of times that we do that. But here's the thing. You know, you know why typically, now unless you're just a manipulator. Now if you're a manipulator, you just need to repent right now. If you just say the right thing because you're trying to get something, hello. You need to repent. Just call on God and say, Lord, forgive me. Help me not to be a manipulator. Help me to repent of my sin. Help me to follow through. But typically, if you're not a manipulator, and I can say this hands down, when I say the right thing, like when I apologize for something, right, I typically mean it. I'm not just saying I'm sorry, especially me because I'm hard-headed. Hello. I don't know about you, but I, I don't say sorry just because, right? I'm not, I'm not like, hey, man, sorries are free. There's not free. My wife will tell you. My, ask, ask my wife. She will tell you. I'm, I'm allowing her to throw my sin out there today. Hello. She'll let you know. I'm not just like, hey, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It, you know, some, I, it, it's hard for me to apologize. I'm always right. <laughs> Y'all don't know that yet, man. There's only one who is always right. It's my wife. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's Jesus in heaven. He is the only one that is always right. But, but I often, more, more, more often than not, I believe that I'm right. I'm, I'm sure that I am right. I am, I am convinced that I am right, glory to God. And so when I, when I apologize, it hurts, glory to God, right? So, so when I say I'm sorry, I'm not saying it just because I want to stop an argument. Hello. I'm not saying it just because I want to, to, to subside the wrath that is coming at me. I am saying it because what? Because I mean it. Remember what I told you a few moments ago? The reality is that we do battle this flesh. And while there's a sincere part of me that doesn't want to act this way, that doesn't want to do or, you know, continue, what happens is there's a battle that is going on. But I thank God for the grace that is found in his gospel truth. You see, Peter was this kind of guy. And notice Jesus didn't kick him out, right? Glory to God for that. It's like, dude, you are always saying the right thing. You never follow through. You're out. That would be terrible because half of us, at least more than half of us, would be out. <laughs> right? But Peter, we need to be more like Peter, though. Are you hearing me? We need to be those that, I mean, when Peter, in, in the midst of our culture, we must be like Peter. He was frail, he was weak, and he was definitely incapable of perfection. But he, bold, he was boldly convinced that there was only one Savior, hear me, who had the truth, not a truth. He was convinced that there was one Savior who had the truth, and he was committed to him no matter who was leaving. You see, in the midst of this situation, Peter is there, people are leaving, and he makes an emphatic statement. He says, where shall we go? Who else has words of eternal life? No one has words of eternal life. We've come to believe who you are and know who you are. And he's saying, listen, this is, Jesus, we're not going anywhere. And then Jesus emphatically says, didn't I choose you? And one of you is a devil. I would hate to be in that room at that moment. Right? Be like, that must be you. <laughs> it ain't me. Because I believe. I don't know about y'all. Hello, somebody. The truth of the matter is, is that Jesus knew who was going to betray him. He knew who was going to turn from him. But he chose these guys. 
And the beauty of it is that he calls us into this relationship. And so when we look at this, through the gospel, God gives us faith. It is through the gospel. It is through the preaching of the gospel. It's not through anything else. And it is in the gospel, God builds our faith. Through the gospel, God gives us faith. And in the gospel, God builds our faith. Our core stability as individuals and as a people is a gift that we must rejoice in. And in our rejoicing, our faith is strengthened. You see, we rejoice when someone gives us a gift, right? When someone gives you something, especially something that you didn't earn, right? Now, a lot of us, as we're growing up, you know, we earned gifts, kind of. Because if you did right, then you got something. It was still called a gift. I don't know if that should be changed. Right? Like, I did good. I did all this stuff, and then I'm going to give you a gift. No, well, the Bible says that that's not, that's not really a gift, right? You earned it. But when you don't do anything to deserve something, and someone gives it to you because they're good, that's a gift. See, we did nothing to deserve this gift of faith, but he gives it to us. And we rejoice in that. And the way that we rejoice in that gift is by us reveling in that gift and the implications of what Jesus did. But here's the beauty of this, is that while I rejoice, while I worship, while I give him glory for the gift that he's given me, my strength is built. My core stability is built. And so my closing question is this, how is your core stability? And here's how I will know and you will be able to answer how your core stability is. It is by looking at the form in your life. What I mean by this is whenever you do exercise, the other day I was doing a, a particular exercise and I, hurt, I actually hurt my back, haven't hurt my back in a long time. And it was something, they're called pistols. And so it's a one-legged, I will not demonstrate right now, um, but <clears throat> it's a one-legged squat. And when you do a one-legged squat, what you have to do is you, when you go down, you have to like bend over your knee and you know, there's a certain position you have to be in in order to execute this correctly. Well, I didn't execute it correctly one time and I twisted in a way that I shouldn't have and it caused my back to be hurt. I thank God because since I work out, I'm not like dying, right? But the pain is there. And what happened is my core went south. You know what that means to me? That means A, I was exhausted, but B, it also means that I need to work on my core some more. Are you here? You see, the form of what we do a lot of times has to do with what? Core stability. You see, the way that I am as a husband, it has to do with my core stability. Are you here? So what's your form like as a husband? Like, are you loving your wife like Christ loves the church? What's your form like as a wife? Are you submitting to your husband as in the way that you're supposed to? What is your form as an employee? Are you honoring your job and your workplace? What is your form as a parent? Are you raising your children in the fear and admonition, the instruction of the Lord? Are you loving them the way? Are you being the example that you're supposed to be? How is your form as a neighbor? Are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Are you concerned about them? How is your form in your life? Because if your form is off, then I'm going to tell you what, go back to your core. Because the core is where the issue lies. Our problem is we're trying to fix form without fixing the real issue. The issue is not that you don't know what the scriptures say about being a husband or a wife or a parent or an employee. Or, you know, it's not that. You know what the scriptures say about that. The issue is the core. The issue is you haven't been overwhelmed by the gospel the way that you should, and therefore you don't have the core stability you need to live out of that rejoicing and that gratefulness that God puts in our heart as we revel in who he is. Amen? Stand to your feet with me. Bow your heads. Let's pray together. Because I know we all need some core work. Amen. Grab your neighbor's hand. Let's pray together.
Father, I just thank you so very much for my brothers, for my sisters that are in this place today. I thank you for your grace that is upon our lives, God. And I'm going to ask you as, you, as I pray, I'm going to ask you to just pray for your neighbors beside you. Pray for them that God would strengthen them as I pray. Father, I pray today, Lord God, that we would be a people that are solid in our core. That our spiritual core, Lord, that our beliefs, that our faith, that our trust in you, Lord God, would glorify and honor you for who you are. That you would be exalted. That you would be lifted up, Lord God. That you, Heavenly Father, would help us to live out of our core identity, Lord God, which is who you are, which is what you have done, and what you allow us to experience as your sons and your daughters, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that whatever it is that is hindering us from rejoicing and from reveling in the beauty of the gospel and the power of the gospel that is working in our lives, Lord God, that you would remove those hindrances. God, that you would give us repentance where we need to repent, that you would give us faith where we need to have faith, Lord God, that you would strengthen us where we need strength, God. Father, today, fill us with your power. Help us to be strong in our core, that our form would be right, God. Your word says that there are many, Lord God, who will have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. The power is a changed life, my God. The power is the work of your gospel that is evident in us, God. Let that power be evident in us. Let us not have a form of godliness. Let us not be Pharisees, God, but let us be sincere, submitted vessels unto you, Lord God. May you be glorified in us. We pray these things in Jesus' great name. Someone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy. You can be seated for a moment. Today that um, leaders have chosen to be a day that we get on our knees and pray as churches. And so it's not by coincidence, right? And I thought about the last song that we were singing as well that, you know, you have overcome, right? As we were singing that song, just understanding that no matter what, he wears the victor's crown, right? I mean, when, when, when we think about who our God is, I love this, this the, the, the verse, um, you know, where, where, where the, in the second verse here, I, I, as we, I was preparing yesterday, I was thinking about this and how appropriate it is. And it says in verse, in the second verse of the song that we were singing, it says, you are, all, you are ever interceding as the lost become the found. You can never be defeated for you wear the victor's crown. You are Jesus the Messiah. You're the hope of all the world. By your grace, I live and breathe to worship you. And if I, could, if, if I could say that that needs to be like the understanding that we have in the midst of what is going on. Now, I'm just going to quote myself to you guys, what I quoted on Facebook and what I feel, and this, this is my heart on this. It's four things. I'm going to expound on them. It's five things, actually. I'm going to expound on them, you know, briefly. But one is, number one is this, is that God already defined marriage. His law is inalterable. Are you hearing me? God already defined marriage. There's no, no, no one, I don't care what the Supreme Court says. I don't care who, what anybody says. God is the author of marriage. Therefore, his definition is the one that matters. It's pretty, it's pretty clear, right? We must ensure that we sanctify. Now, here's the thing for us. We must ensure that we sanctify marriage and guard it for our children in the gospel's sake. You see, here's what needs to be our response first and foremost is that we make sure that our marriages reflect Jesus the way that they should. That's what we need to make sure of. We need to make sure that we sanctify marriage and that when people look at us, I don't care about all the other failed marriages that are out there in the church. I don't care about any of that stuff. When people look at you, when people look at your marriage, do they see a gospel witness? 
Do your kids see a gospel witness? We need to be faithful to make sure that our children see that in us and that they don't see some hypocrisy and that our neighbors, coworkers, that they see in us the sanctity of marriage and what, and what marriage really is. Amen? The second thing is everyone is entitled to his or her opinion. Amen? Now listen, this is prophecy being fulfilled. The Apostle Paul said that we are living in perilous times where men would be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. It is important that we realize this, is that these are the days that we live in. These are things that are prophesied. So you know what that does? Can I tell you what this ruling does? It just shows you how true your Bible is. That's all it does. It just lets, it just lets you know. If, if you didn't know that prophecy is being fulfilled and that your Bible talked about it a long time ago, hey, somebody, this is what this shows us, that what the Bible said would happen is happening. That is what is occurring. And so everyone's entitled to their opinion. You're entitled to your opinion as well as everyone else entitled to their opinion. Now, you as a Christian, I'm going to tell you what. Your opinion should be aligned with the Scriptures. Right? If you're, if you're a believer, you're called to the standard of the Word of God. You can't just embrace whatever anyone says. The third thing is this. Let's just hope religious freedom to agree with God, God's Word, isn't violated next. Right? Because we've already had a violation to God's Word. I mean, we've done, listen, I want you to understand something. We have done something that no other nation has done, and we shouldn't be proud of this. Are you hearing me? We decided that we're going to go and say, well, we're going to redefine something that was defined long, long time ago. That's crazy. Right? But that's who we are. I mean, as a nation, I'm not saying you in this room, but as a nation, that's what we decided. That we're going to go ahead and we're going to make up our own rules and stuff like that. But ultimately, the thing is that we need to make sure, you know, or hope that our religious freedom isn't violated next. And if it is, hear what I'm saying. If it is, stand firm in the truth. If it is, hey, you know what? If you die for the glory of Jesus, amen. If you are incarcerated for the glory of Jesus, amen. If I don't get incarcerated with you, I'll come visit you. And if I get incarcerated, come visit me, amen? <laughs> Hook a brother up. I'm just saying, like, we'll start prison ministry. I'm just saying it's just going to be like it's going to be. The point is, again, this is writing on the walls. So what we need to do is we are promised, and listen to me, church, we are promised to be persecuted for the faith, so don't be surprised, right? Number four, in the meantime, be gracious, loving, and kind in your debates. Hello, somebody. Questions will arise. Be faithful in your answers and discussions. And what do I mean by being faithful? This is what it means to be faithful in your conversation. Speak the truth in love. One without the other is a problem. If I'm too loving to speak the truth, that's not real love. And if I'm too truthful to be loving, that's not real truth. Hello. I'm just saying. Faithful witnesses speak the truth in love. You don't waver, but you don't go and, you know, start calling people names. You just lay it out, lay out the facts or what they are. That's what we can do. We cannot, and here, here, here's, here's what I, this is the reason why I read that, that verse to you. We cannot, we cannot, say this with me, we cannot, we cannot. Allow, allow secondary issues, secondary issues. To, become to become our primary concern, primary concern. or mission. Did you hear me? We cannot allow secondary issues to become our primary concern or mission. The gospel is the issue and the mission. Now, that doesn't mean that when someone brings up a question that you don't respond. What that means is you recognize when the conversation is just getting uglier than it needs to get, and you just move on. Don't let, don't, don't, don't let the secondary issues become primary. And the last one is my longest one. 
Most importantly, God is still on the throne. Open your Bibles to the book of Psalm, chapter 46. I want you to read this with me. As I was, I was um, encouraging someone yesterday, and I went to look up this verse, and when I looked up the verse, I saw this scripture, and it was like God was like, this is what I want you to share with the church. I was like, man, because we, we often quote part of this verse that we're going to that, that look at. But we're going to read from verse 1, and it's an amazing um, chapter in the Bible. The title is Psalm 46, God the refuge of his people and the conqueror of nations. Hear that title. God the refuge of his people and conqueror of the nations. Look what it says here. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in, time, in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, Selah. Pause for a moment. He's saying, look, if all these things happen, calamity is going crazy, we will not fear. He goes on to say, there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just as the break of the dawn. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. We have a pretty powerful God, don't you think? The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah, rest in that. He says this, he says, come, behold the works of the Lord who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. And here is the verse that we often quote. It's always the first part. Be still and know that I'm God. But look at the next part of the verse. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Be still and know that I am God. I will, God is saying, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So when we say that scripture, it's often to calm our anxiety or calm our fears or calm our doubts. But what our God says, Says, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. In the midst of whatever, I am, and listen, God is exalted in judgment. That's a sad reality, but it's true. See, you can't rebel against God and, and, and expect that there's no consequence for that. That's just unrealistic. But we as God's people, guess what? Our refuge is who? God Almighty. Our God says he's going to be exalted. And so there is no question that this decision is a slap in the face to God. There is also no question that God will not be mocked. Judgment against those who rebel against him is inevitable. Yet, I want you to hear this. We must remember Jesus died in our place for our judgment. We must pray for God's mercy in our lives, in the lives of those bound in this deceptive lifestyle, and for our nation that continues to give into the sinful desires of men to the degree of legislating sin, because that's what we did. We did it years ago, and I say this now, and you know, it is what it is. Roe v. Wade, all we did was we, we, we licensed the murder of innocent babies. Someone asked me, when is the church going to stand up for the innocent, you know, people who are victims of guns? Hey, man, the church has been trying to stand up for the innocent for a long time, and nobody's listening. I'm just saying. So here's the thing. We have to realize that Jesus died for this, and so the church must be wise in this hour and prepare itself to be covered legally, which we're going to be taking care of this week, um, to make sure that we amend our bylaws, to make sure that, you know, they can say what they want to say, but we are a church, and we're going to make sure that everything is crystal clear so that way there's no question. And so on that front, legally, we'll be taken care of. Now, does that guarantee anything? Come on now. They just amended something up in the Supreme Court, so we're going to do our part. 
But at the end of the day, persecution is going to come. But more importantly, we must seek ways to love more intentionally, evangelize more aggressively, and again, sanctify our marriages more courageously as light shining in the darkness. Amen? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I want us to sing this song and worship God, and then we're going to pray. We're going to have a moment of prayer. Um, I'll come back up, and we're going to pray. And when I come up, if you can get on your knees, you can get on your knees. But I'm going to ask you to stand with us now as we begin to worship. And... Um, Seek God's face.